Well, hey, before we dive in, Heidi and I just want to say thanks so much for your encouraging words over the last few days, the kind emails. It's a treasure to be a part of a community like this who uh, encourages us. And with this vision to plant a church next year in my hometown, uh, there's a lot of faith required, and you're helping to strengthen our faith, and so we thank you. I want to remind you that tonight— at 6 p.m. we're doing a Zoom Q&A time, so the link is below in the notes or on our website, and we just invite you to spend 45 minutes or so with us uh, tonight, bring any questions you might have, and, and take some time to hear a little more of the vision. I'm excited about sharing that with you. Well, this passage today invites us to some really life-changing experiences. It, it invites us to see Jesus for who he really is, his power, his glory, it invites us to discover love, to, to kind of get a glimpse into the kind of love that God has for us. And then it invites us to leave behind fear and to step forward in faith. And these are, these are huge invitations uh, for folks like Heidi and I and the place that we're in, of course, to trust God with this new step of faith, this new journey in our lives. It's important for anyone following God or wanting to listen to his call. I mean, Honestly, it's important for anyone who just wants to wake up in the morning, right, and, and face this world that we live in right now. Maybe with all that's happening around you, it's hard to get a view of who Jesus is. Where is he? What is he doing in all of this? Maybe with the, the drama on the internet or swirling around your life around politics or the world or whatever, it, it might be hard to discern what love looks like. Where is real love? or in the commotion and the chaos of even your own life, maybe wondering how anyone steps forward in faith in the world that we're in right now. Well, this passage will help us. It'll invite us uh, to these powerful moments, and so I'm excited to explore it with you. And this first one is this invitation to see Jesus for who he really is, to get a glimpse of his glory and his power. The question of who is Jesus it comes up a lot, uh, especially through these gospel accounts, and, and even the, those closest to Jesus wonder. There's this moment in uh, Matthew 8 where the disciples are in a boat, and a storm comes up, and they, they're afraid they're going to die, and Jesus is, they ask Jesus to, to help them, and Jesus just says a couple of words, and the storm just calms instantly. And they're amazed, and this is what it says. The men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even wins and see obey him and even after the resurrection one of the disciples thomas he's still unsure and he wants to see it to believe it you know and and so what happens in john 20 is that jesus appears to the group where thomas is and he says to thomas put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side do not disbelieve but believe and thomas answered him my lord and my god so this question, who is Jesus, it's important. It's important for you and for me today. Who is Jesus to you? Let's follow dis the disciples here and, and get this glimpse into who he really is. I'm going to be reading along with the New Living Translation. You've heard it read in the ESV a moment ago. Here's how verse 1 starts out. Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. So this is the setting. 
Christ chooses this out-of-the-way place, a high mountain in the middle of nowhere, you know, to kind of create actually this mountaintop experience like no other. And to get a vantage point or a perspective on this, I thought it'd be cool to spend a couple minutes on the mountain ourselves. All right, so come along with me. Hey, welcome to the mountaintop. Here we are, top of the mountain. What is it about places like this? Well, one, isn't our perspective changed in such a big way when we're in places like this? We see things differently. Our vantage point changes. We hear things differently too. There's some sounds and noises still, but it's not the same as the noises of our regular chaotic world below. You know, when we get to real quiet places, oftentimes we can actually hear in new ways. And sometimes it's there that God speaks to us and reminds us who he is, who we are. Jesus himself got away to mountaintops like this, often to pray and talk to his father. We all need places like this. Maybe you with isolation and the quarantine season have found yourself maybe kicking and screaming, being pushed into more isolated places than you had ever imagined. And even now, it could just be you watching this or maybe just a few family members around your TV or computer. And you might be wondering, why is this a special moment? Or how could God use, or why would he choose to use this moment to reveal himself? Or do something miraculous or special, but it's exactly this kind of place that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to the disciples here in this passage. This is exactly the kind of place, just this small group of people, that God chooses to show up in a special way. So I invite you, would you kind of circle up, lean in, and let's follow along together to see what the disciples see. So here's what happens in verse 2. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. So here's this astonishing moment, this pivotal moment. And it's astonishing, it's pivotal because no one had visibly seen Jesus reveal his true divinity like this, visually. You know, they'd seen him heal miraculously. They'd seen him speak transformatively into people's lives, but never like this. This is pivotal because it squarely places Jesus as God, as divine, from heaven. You know, not just another human teacher or a prophet. And the fact that Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus back from the dead in this moment is miraculous. It, it shows Jesus' power over even death. The transfiguration, this moment here, it's been seen throughout history as a glimpse into who Jesus really is. Artists throughout the centuries have been trying to depict this scene for us to help us enter into it. Here's this first one from 1408. One of these early paintings, Theophanes, a Greek artist, he was born in the capital of the Byzantine Empire in Constantinople and studied art and philosophy at the university there. We see the symmetry of Christ, these bright colors, compared to the sort of darker, random blob-like shapes, you know, of the 
disciples and their humanity and brokenness. This next painting is a little bit later from Italian painter and architect Raffaello Sanzio da Urbino, better known simply as Raphael, lucky for me. Um, he died at the age of 37 on Good Friday in 1520. And this painting, even in its unfinished state, was considered by Raphael as his greatest masterpiece, the Transfiguration. He was so proud of it, in fact, that this is what was displayed on his deathbed. The Transfiguration, metamorpho. It, it comes from this word metamorphosis, right? The, a verb to change into another form. It also means to change the outside to match the inside. And in the case of the Transfiguration, of Christ. It means to match the outside with the reality of the inside. Christ is the light. And John 1 5 says, His life brought light to everyone. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus says of himself in John 8 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I mean, no wonder it says that his face shone like the sun and that his clothes were, became bright as light. Well, Peter is just flabbergasted in this moment. In verse 4, it says, Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. Uh, if you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And this is kind of an understandable idea. It's kind of a natural inclination from Peter here because maybe Jesus is like one of the other prophets, you know, and we can memorialize him uh, in this special moment, like here on this mountain forever, you know. Um, we could put Jesus in a little temple next to another, other little temples with other holy people. But Peter and the other two, and, and all of us readers, we're about to find out that this is not who Jesus is. We're going to learn that Jesus is set apart from every other prophet Jesus Christ is not one more prophet like a Moses or Elijah or Muhammad or Buddha. Timothy Keller says, Jesus is not one more prophet or teacher or sage in a row. You cannot fit him into a hall of fame. You cannot fit him into a pantheon, you know. He is not one among many. He is utterly unique. The transfiguration, this moment here, it clearly sets Jesus uniquely apart as God. And, and this reveal, it takes out any middle ground where Jesus could simply be a good teacher or a, a wise prophet because we can't separate Jesus from this moment right here. Either he's God or he's deranged and this whole scene is outlandish. Like C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. So again, who is Jesus to you? And I invite you to hold that question for a moment in your heart. It might not be a question you answer with a word or a statement, and maybe avoid giving that kind of quick Sunday school answer right here. I think it's really a question that you answer by looking at your life, your behavior, your values. Who, uh, how has who Jesus is impacted or affected your life? I hope and pray that like Thomas, you'll come to see Jesus and you'll declare, my Lord and my God. You know, the three disciples on the mountain uh, witnessing this holy moment, 
they're in awe of his glory, of course. They're just blown away. Um, but they're soon going to see that Jesus' glory and his power, they're found in the context of love. Well, let's look at verse 5. It says, But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. So the first thing to notice is this bright cloud that envelops him. It's, a, it's the same wording and imagery in the, as in, in the Old Testament when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. You might remember if you've read that story, he says, show me your glory, Lord. And, and up on this mountain, God's presence, his glory is depicted by this bright cloud and there's thunder and lightning and it's scary. It's kind of ominous, you know, and, and Moses comes down from that experience and the Bible says that his face glowed from this reflection of being in the presence of God. And then over the course of days and weeks, this, this glowing kind of faded and so he wore a veil to kind of cover up the disappearance of, of this thing, of this experience. But it was, it was scary too. God said that no one can see my face and live at the time. So there was instructions, don't go near the mountain when God's presence is there and the thunder's going and the lightning. If you like touch the mountain, you'll die. You know, it was like intense. And so, um, and so that's kind of the same cloud that we see here. But in this instance, this bright glory cloud comes around them and they don't die, they live. It says right here that they actually saw his glory. They saw his face and they lived. So what is the transfiguration telling us here? What does it mean? Well, it's teaching us that Jesus is not only God on the other side of the smoke and the lightning and the other side of the chasm between us, that he is also somehow the bridge over the chasm. This is telling us Christianity is different than any other religion on the face of the earth because every, every other religion uh, tells us that we must do things to, to bridge this gap between us and God. And this tells us that Jesus has done this for us. The disciples, they didn't bring a sacrifice up to the mountain with them, did they, for this moment? They weren't ready for this. They weren't prepared with some kind of special offering to appease God, and they didn't die. They lived. Why? Because Jesus was the sacrifice for them. They didn't come to this moment with some kind of purification cleansing process, you know, washing themselves up to present themselves to God. And they didn't die. Why? They lived because Jesus was perfect in their place. And Jesus, for us, you and me now, he is our sacrifice. And he is perfect when we are not. And there's this booming voice that comes from the cloud. And it says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. In the message it says, this is my son marked by my love, focus of my delight. This is my son. You know, this has happened before. And the last time the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus, just like kind of a similar situation, uh, it was during his baptism. When Jesus was getting baptized, this dove comes down and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. This is what true, real love looks like. The Father's love for the Son. And the amazing thing is, 
is that we get to be a part of this kind of love as well. Remember John 3.16, it reminds us, for God so loved the world, that's us, all of us, that he sent his son. 1 John 4.9.10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his son, his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God loves you. John 1.12, but to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. A child of God is loved perfectly, marked by his love, a focus of his delight. Well, how can you know this? How could you be assured of this truth? Because being loved like this, wouldn't it change everything? It, it would be so much easier to withstand the challenges of life, the rejection of others, when we're loved like this as a child of God. Well, having a grand vision, a supernatural experience would obviously help, but that's probably not going to happen. What's more likely is this, that there's this assurance that comes from a feeling, an impression from the Holy Spirit deep in our hearts. Paul says it like this in Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And you may know intellectually, like, I am a child of God, or I'm a son or daughter, but, but it's been said that here's what you need to know more than anything else in your life. You need to hear at the center of your being the voice of God saying, in spite of everything you've done, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. It's interesting that the two times Jesus hears this encouraging confirmation from heaven, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, both instances occur at pivotal junctures in Jesus' life. That first one at his baptism is at the beginning of his ministry. And right from that moment, he's going to step into 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. And then this occurrence happens at another pivotal moment. Jesus will step down from this mountain and his ministry and life will take a turn toward the cross, toward his crucifixion where he will suffer and die and take on the brokenness of the world once and for all. One commentator said, when sufferings begin to abound, consolations are given more abundantly. Being loved like this helps us take the right steps forward in our life. There's never a bad time to hear this truth, especially when we're being invited to step out and move forward in our lives in faith, into uncertainty, into the unknown. And that's all of us right now in this world we're in right now, right? You know, the disciples at first on this mountain, they didn't understand this kind of love because their first reaction was fear. Take a look at these last couple of verses, six through eight. It says, the disciples were terrified and they fell face down on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. They were afraid, these disciples, because of the whole memory of the Old Testament stories, the whole, you know, Mount Sinai, you die if you see God, the glory cloud kills you type of thing, right? So they're 
they're in fear and they probably felt they deserved to die as they came to grips in this moment with their own frail humanity compared to the brilliant blinding glory and light of god but they didn't die they thought they would from their understanding of god but jesus came over and he touched them jesus the bridge across the chasm jesus is perfect in our place and his love covers us jesus is the glory of god and his sacrifice in our place gives us life now he says to them don't be afraid and these words are meaningful for them right then in this moment of course but they'll also carry weight in the days ahead because after this mountaintop they'll go down off the mountain and things are going to get intense really quickly the disciples are going to be caught up in the drama of the crucifixion the death the resurrection of jesus and then they're going to be commissioned to a life of witness and sacrifice of their own and sharing this good news of god's love through jesus and they're going to have many many opportunities to be afraid today jesus wants to reach across the chasm with his love and say to you in your situation don't be afraid so what are you afraid of most today i mean it, it wouldn't be hard to look right to find something because even just the pandemic we're in right now this virus and the health that we all hold on to feels tenuous and there's so much fear around that i don't know if you follow the stock market or the political season or anything like that but of course there's fear and there's uncertainty and it's like a roller coaster ride of emotions just this future uncertainty that we're all facing surrounds us maybe it's a fear of violence coming close to home in some way or another for you or maybe just this fear of being completely unnoticed or forgotten about in all that's going on and the isolation that we're experiencing here in a season of quarantine could be tempting to to be afraid of just being left behind don't be afraid jesus says what comes up for you when you hear that i mean how do we receive encouragement like this deep in our hearts how do we not be afraid it's you might say it's easier said than done you know in fact it's not even fair because these disciples they witnessed this experience firsthand they got to see the glory they got to hear the voice and we're just reading it here you know in our head how do i experience it too you might ask how do i leave behind fear and step forward in faith well the way to connect with him experientially is through prayer and worship through prayer and worship talking to god just being with him we get a foretaste of the thing that all of our hearts are longing for whether we know it or not we're longing for it in our art we're longing for it in our music in romance and our values around family philippians 4 6 through 7 says this do not be anxious or don't worry about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god and and what will happen if we do this well it tells us if we do this it says and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus praying isn't just closing our eyes and, and saying some words and worship isn't just singing some songs together it's a way for our eyes to be open so let so just like the disciples we can 
We can look up and we can see Jesus. We can see his glory. You know, that, that glory word, it means weight or significance. When we see God's glory, we realize that, that he is more significant. He is more meaningful than anything else in our lives. When this weight becomes a reality for us, it, we don't worry as much about what people say, you know, about us or anything else. And we don't get spun out as much by the changing circumstances around us because there's something heavier, weightier, more glorious, holding us like an anchor for the soul. Where are you sensing an invitation today to not be afraid, to step forward in faith? And what fears accompany that for you? I know for Heidi and I, right, this season of, of planting a church in a year and, and going to a faraway place, even though it's my hometown, there's so much unfamiliarity and uncertainty in this mission and, and in this um, trajectory for us, you know, and, and we have to, with open hands, bring these questions to God. What will it exactly look like, and, and where will we meet, or what will the church do, and who will actually come and be a part of this community? We don't know these answers, and so we, with open hands, we just have to trust God, and God is increasing our, our faith to be able to do that. How about for you? Each day, each of us we have to step forward into something unknown. I mean, we can either tread lightly in fear or boldly step forward in faith. I, if you know the disciples' story after this, even though they experience this incredible moment, even though they see Jesus, they descend from the mountain into the chaos of the crucifixion, and they get tripped up by fear over and over again. This will be a, an up-and-down journey for all of us. But we can follow Jesus because he has faced the greatest challenge of all. He's been misunderstood, ridiculed by the authorities, sweat drops of blood with anguish and stress, been tortured and stared death in the face through the, his sacrifice on the cross and, and come out the other side in resurrection power. And, and he goes before us. Here, and, and he can lead the way. So today we come off the mountain and we step back and just kind of consider what do we come away with from this passage, from the transfiguration? Well, we get a glimpse of who Jesus is, his glory and his power. And we get invited into God's profound love. And then out of this, this confidence of being loved by God completely and perfectly, we cannot be afraid as we step forward in faith in our lives. Today, if you're here and you're listening to this, and maybe for the first time or in a fresh way, it's grabbing your heart, you, and you want to say, along with Thomas, you want to just declare this, Jesus, my Lord and my God. I want to invite you to do that as we kind of close in a prayer in a moment, to, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you want to know deep down inside that you're a child of God, a son or a daughter, believing in him, accepting him, and if you want to receive the kind of faith that triumphs over fear, I want to invite you to join me in this closing prayer. Let's just take a moment, just a few seconds of silence before we pray, though, to bring your own silent prayer to God now.
Well, Jesus, I pray for those listening today, those far and near to you. I pray that as they even just crack a window open to faith right now, that your glorious light would come streaming through, that they would get a glimpse of you, that they would sense in their spirit that you love them unconditionally and completely, and that they would accept your invitation to step towards you. God, may your peace go before us into this uncertain and scary world. May you be more glorious, more significant than anything else in our lives, and may we find great freedom in listening to you and obeying you. Amen.